In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues of the many fields of knowledge, all are steps on the path of omniscience. May these arise in the clear mirror of intellect. O oh, Manjushri, please accomplish this. Hey, good evening and welcome. Good. Okay, what should we talk about tonight? Let's see. Okay, so tonight we're starting on uh, page 307, which is chapter 22, The Development of the Cosmos in Kala Chakra Texts. So a slightly different version from the Sutra and Vajrayana, General Vajrayana presentation of the development of the cosmos, but basically very similar. And uh, once again, we have this interesting proposition that the world starts from empty particles. It says, uh, let's see, prior to the development of our world system as empty vacu an empty vacuous state prevailed where all ma material phenomena existed as empty particles. Now, we saw empty particles last week, but that's a pretty curious phenomena, this idea that there's empty particles. When we went through matter earlier, we had different types of matter particles, but we didn't have empty particles. They didn't uh, introduce that earlier. So now we're, we're told that in between uh, aeons or in between the, develop, uh, the appearance of worlds systems, there's this thing called empty particles. After a certain period, presumably of time. The wind, wind particles start to accumulate together and the world began to form. So there's no explanation of where the wind particles came from and uh, really no explanation of um, where these empty particles came from. But um, they say, after the earlier cosmos was destroyed, subtle particles called empty particles that existed as discrete material units in vacant space accumulated and the wind modula gradually formed. So much like the, uh, what is it called, the bozo particle? Anyone help me out? Higgs, Higgs boson? Oh, the Higgs boson particle. 
Give mass to other particles. I thought they were the ones that fill up empty space, or are those gluons? Well, same same difference. <laughs> I don't know. There's a whole bunch. They all do different things. <laughs> Everybody's got their own version of uh, what happens in empty space. Uh, people fighting over empty space, as usual. Um then from among the subtle particles called empty particles, the ones that were full manifest first. No, I made that up. Um, from among the subtle particles called empty particles, first the subtle particles of wind that resided invisibly in space and had not combined came to coalesce with one another. So all these like contradictions, you know, we have all this stuff earlier about cause and effect and not having like a, f a, f a first cause without a, a cause as being theistic and so forth. And then we have this totally... Uh, Illogical, basically, presentation of how the world's come to be. So I don't really have a lot to add other than that. In terms the of time, where does this fit with those others? Time, if there were like a timeline of where the Kala Chakra explanation relative to the other ones, is there any sense of? It's it's uh, in terms of time, it fits in. The, to the uh, smallest moment of time. <laughs> where, is, where does the color chakra system? What date? <laughs> what day? What day did the color chakra appear? Yeah. <laughs> well, nobody really knows, but it's somewhere around the tenth century or so, maybe the ninth century. But Thank generally, you. I think like the 10th, 10th century, maybe 11th. Um, previously, before coalescing, these subtle particles of wind lacked the capacity to move, even though they possessed the nature of lightness and mobility. But after coalescing, they were able to move owing to their lightness and mobility, and they are referred to as the wind that came to form the cosmos. That is said to be the first cause of the wind mandala, which is the formative basis of the cosmos, but not the actual wind mandala. It causes the wind mandala. So this complex system of uh, sort of pre-elemental manifestations that bring about the genuine mandalas of the four elements, which make up the sort of foundation of our universe according to these systems. Um, so on the next page, which is 308 of ours, there's a quote from a gentleman named Pundarika, who is uh, one of the seven kings of Shambhala. I think he was the, uh, the last of the seven kings before the 25 Rigdons started, and uh, the one who was in charge when the whole country disappeared. Does that anybody confirm or deny that or correct me? Anyway, he wrote a famous commentary on uh, the Kala Chakra Tantra called The Stainless Light. And uh, 
He says, from among the subtle particles, first particles of wind coalesced with one another and through their convergence, that which moves with lightness and mobility was called wind. Likewise, subtle particles of fire coalesced and the state merging lightning with wind was called fire. So too, subtle particles of water converged and coalesced and this rain endowed with wind and fire was called water. Similarly, the subtle particles of earth fully coalesced in the appearance of Indra's bow. Uh, the authors take that as being Indra's, Indra's rainbow. In space was called the sustainer. Not sure what that is. The subtle particles of taste, however, pervade everywhere. That was probably the most interesting part of this chapter is that the whole universe is edible. And although they, <laughs> although they don't say what it tastes like, sweet, sour, salty, or bitter, they say that taste pervades everywhere. Um, and then they go through uh, chiliocosms, uh, which is the same as we saw before. The differences between the Abhidharma and the Kala Chakra presentations of the uh, size of things is slightly different. The shape of Mount Meru, instead of being a square or pyramidal, rather, is uh, uh, round or conical. And um, the uh, structure of the outer ring of mountains and so forth and the, and the continents is slightly different in the two systems. Um, multiple world systems in Buddhist sources. Uh, and here they're quoting from the Flower Ornament Sutra, which is the Gandavyuha Sutra, famous, huge, long sutra that uh, has uh, incredibly long and detailed descriptions of various universes and the Buddhas and the and the beings that live within those. And so they, they have some quotes from that in this section, as well as from the, uh, the Vajrapani Tantra. But basically, there's uh, this idea that there's infinite world systems in the uh, four directions or ten directions. So at the end of this uh, section, the end of uh, chapter 22, the uh, text says, in general, world systems have no beginning or end, but specific world systems are accepted as having set temporal stages of a beginning, middle, and end. Anyone care to comment on what, what, is, what does that mean? What's the difference between in general world systems have no beginning or end, but specific ones? So there's general and specific world systems. Seems to me that the idea is that because there's so many different world systems that um, some of them are, are uh, beginning, some of them are abiding, and some of them are ending at any one time. But overall, there's just zillions of them that are around in one shape, form, or another. Um, or is it possible that um, the, another way I was thinking is that sort of like generally characterized phenomena, there's no one general way in which these things arise, abide, and cease that applies to all, but that that's unique to the specific world systems that actually arise? I guess. I, I, I don't read it that way, but that's certainly possible. 
And uh, there's these four stages of voidness, formation, endurance, and destruction. And each is very long, 20 intermediate aeons, and we'll get into, uh, actually we skipped the uh, chapter on measurement that goes into uh, cubits and fathoms and uh, aeons and so forth. But um, this world system came into being from the five elements, space and earth, water, fire, wind. The element of space brings into existence the other elements, and space also facilitates their functions. As for the cause of destruction, the texts explain that excluding the earth element and the space element, the other three act as agents of destruction. Water, fire, and wind are diff the three different ways that the these universes are destroyed. And we saw earlier there's you have seven, <clears throat> what was it, seven uh, fire destructions, and then one water, and seven water, and one wind, and seven wind, and then the game's over. How worlds end, there's different explanations on how these world systems come to cease, section 23. And uh, first is a quote from a sutra. The meeting of father and son must have been like Father's Day or something, I guess, when this sutra was was written. The time when the world system is destroyed does exist. When this world system is about to be destroyed, two sons will appear. And owing to the appearance of these two sons, springs and small streams will dry up. Then three sons will appear in the world, and owing to the appearance of these large and great Large springs and great rivers will dry up. Then four suns and the four great rivers and the great lake on Avatapta, into which the rivers flow, will dry up and disappear owing to evaporation. Then five suns will appear, and all the water of the great oceans will decline and disappear to a depth of one yojana. And a yojana uh, was something like a a certain number of cubits, and it, and it um, yeah. And uh, Sangha in his um, Yogacara, Yogacara Bhumi, Yogacara Grounds has a similar system of uh, basically <clears throat> the world first ending by fire, heat, drying up the waters, then he has destruction by water. He says initially there are seven cycles of destruction by water by fire. Then the water element emerges from the second meditative absorption. After everything's burned up, water emerges from the second meditative absorption, the, the form realm affiliated or achieved by the second absorption state. And this water element dissolves external world systems just as salt dissolves in water. And then the water element itself disappears along with those external world systems and such destruction. Also takes 20 intermediate ends. Destruction by wind. Initially there are seven cycles of destruction by water. Then there's a single destruction by fire. So it's first water and then fire. Then the wind element emerges from the third meditative that's weird. Initially, there are seven cycles of destruction by water. 
then there's a single destruction by fire. Okay. Then the wind element emerges from the third meditative absorption and external world systems disappear like a body withering because of the wind. Then the wind element disappears along with those external world systems just as for some in whom the wind element is disturbed, the flesh shrinks to the bone. This is the destruction of world systems and such disintegration. It takes the same amount of time, 20 intermediate aeons. Then we have a quote from the great treatise on differentiation. Some say when the world system is destroyed, the sun will split into seven suns. And through the force of this, the world will be destroyed. Some say that at the time of the final and this single sun itself will increase in temperature sevenfold and incinerate the world systems. The world system, that sounds like what the scientists in the western part of the planet Earth or say that the sun the sun is supposed to get very large right at the end of the life of a star of the type that the sun is it's supposed to get really huge and then it implodes on itself and into a, uh, a black hole is that correct it like turns into a supernova and explodes and then so it goes from a red giant so it expands mm and it collapses into a dwarf because we're it's a small sun it's not gonna do what bigger suns do oh we don't get a black hole no definitely just not. Turn, just turns <laughs> into what was it a blue dwarf we don't even get a supernova because that uh, only has yeah. big sun i see so it turns into a red what was the first thing a red red giant red giant and then a, a blue so dwarf I think it'll go like almost out to Jupiter. And then a blue dwarf. Good names. I like that. Dwarf. Okay. How the world system is destroyed. Um. The end of the chapter on page 317 says, as such, all things as represented by the seed of a sprout or a vase and so on, arise in a stream of causation progressing from one cause to the next without any starting point. And one cannot identify any initial cause. So too, world systems arise within a stream of formation and destruction solely owing to the power of the wheel of dependent origination as a causal process without any starting point. Moreover, now and in the future, they will continue to rise in just such a stream of formation and destruction without limit. On this basis, Buddhist scholars assert as a general principle that one cannot posit that the formation and destruction of world systems began at a specific time, nor will they end at some appointed moment. Uh, let's see, we skip the motion of celestial bodies, which goes into astrology, it has a little section on astrology. You know, hopefully people are just like flipping through these things as, as well, just to check out what's in them. 
old section on astrology if you're interested in that. And then we have a measurement and enumeration <clears throat> where we learn that um, on the on the so this is section 25 and we weren't supposed to read it but just briefly that's page 325 the bottom units of physical measurement and according to the treasure of knowledge the accumulation of subtle seven subtle particles constitutes the measure of an atom seven atoms one iron particle etc so water particle rabbit sheep particle ox particles light particles and a louse egg <laughs> and seven lice eggs are equivalent to one louse bean derived from the eggs and seven lice or louse beans are one barley seed and seven barley seeds equal one finger joint and uh, 12 finger joints are one finger span <laughs> which i thought was odd because fingers generally have three joints so why would you say that a finger span is uh, 12 joints so uh, maybe, maybe it's like the distance between the thumb and the pinky when this hand is extended is a finger span i'm not sure 24 finger joints are one cubit and 24 cubits are one fathom, in case Noah was wondering, and 500 fathoms are one crotia, and eight crotia are one yojana. So if you say that a finger joint is, let's say, an inch, can you figure out how long a yojana is? That's your, uh, your homework for next week, okay, is how long is a yojana, if you assume that a finger joint is an inch, okay? Uh, let's see, units of temporal measurement. We have days, years, months, and so forth. And then we have aeons, just briefly, on page 329. So this is uh, in chapter 25. There's a section called uh, units of temporal measurement. And it's like three pages in there. There's a paragraph that says... Um, from the uh, from among these actually the one before now to explain the length of an aeon earlier when discussing the formation and destruction of the world systems we mentioned this, that there are the uh, the aeons of destruction voidness formation and de endurance interesting that they started with destruction here but the combination of these four is referred to both in sutras and abhidharma as a great aeon so uh, these four minor aeons uh, sort of one cycle of a world system equals a great aeon and from among these the aeon of destruction is posited as beginning from when the new birth of sentient beings in avici hell ceases up to the termination of external world systems. <laughs> now I'm not I'm not uh, totally up on my hells, but there I think there were like 16 different hell realms, and Avicii hell is the, like the most worst, intense, bottommost hell realm. And um, there's something about when the new birth of sentient beings so when a vgl is like closed for business and full and no longer accepting new hell beings um 
that's like the start ceases when the new birth ceases up to the anyway the period of destruction of sentient beings who inhabit those worlds is 19 intermediate aeons period of destruction of external worlds is one intermediate aeon thus it lasts 20 intermediate aeons and the aeon of voidness and, and so on and so forth anyway um they go they describe all these different types of aeons and um there's there's uh great aeons and there's intermediate aeons or epochs and eighty intermediate aeons is a great aeon Anyway, it's a little complicated to figure out the system of aeons and how long an aeon. Um, except on the bottom of page 30, 330 rather, uh, just after a quote from a text called Investigating Characteristics. It says, what then is the calculation in human years or the duration of such aeons, one might ask. Response, one intermediate aeon is three quintillion, 397 quadrillion, 386 trillion, 240 billion human years. This number extends to 19 digits. <laughs> it's a long time. One great aeon is, uh, is more. Instead of three quintillion, it's 271 quintillion. So that's uh, like 90 times longer. And that extends to 21 digits. And um, and then there's a more accurate way of uh, counting time presented on the next page, 331. Dasha some guy, some guy who came up as a brilliant uh, chronologist, apparently. On the other hand, speaks of one intermediate and being the time it takes to empty a store of sesame or mustard grain, filling a square iron enclosure, one crochet in height, and on each side of its four sides by taking out one grain every hundred years. It's a more accurate way of counting uh, how long an aeon is. After the quote, scriptural sources connected with the college chakra use terms such as small aeon, intermediate data, supreme aeon, and great aeon. Okay, so we got lots of aeons. And then in the numerical system, they define what countless is. I thought that was interesting. I don't know if anybody else went through these sections that were omitted, but in the section called Units of Numer Numerical Measurement, after the quote, uh, it says, enumeration begins from one and increases by, so this is on page 333 in the top, increases by a factor of 10 for each shift in decimal place. The 60th number in this series is called countless, but it should not be understood as utterly incalculable for in the series of calculations from 10 times, one is 10, 10 times 10 is 100, and 10 times 100 is 1,000, and so on. One eventually reaches 10 times the 59th decimal. In this number, it's given the name countless. So 
countless is actually a countable number, in case you were wondering how much countless is. And that brings us to part six, fetal development and the channels, winds, and drops. So uh, first we have the introduction, goes to embryonic development theory, the brain, the subtle body, microorganisms within the body, bacteria and so forth, and that further reading. So I'll skip that since we'll go through some of the details of it. But generally, let's pause for a moment. And, uh, oh, wait, wait, I assigned this introduction as being the main thing to read. So let's go through that embryonic development theory. Uh, so part six of our volume co covers a range of topics that touch upon the challenging question of the mind-body connection. This is distinguished from the so-called mind-body problem, which is a philosophical conundrum stemming from the Cartesian dualism of mind and body. For the Buddhist world, the link between mind and body is provided by what are referred to as winds in Sanskrit, vayu, subtle energy flowing within conduits known as channels or nadi in Sanskrit, as well as drops in Sanskrit, bindu or tilaka. And we saw these terms in uh, Dorot Holsel's translation, he, he preferred the Vayu, Nadi, and Tilika terminology. Vital essences that are understood to reside in specific points within the key channels is what Bindus are. The most developed form of this subtle physiology discussed in more detail below is found in the Vajrayana text. On this view, the winds are energy. Subtle energies are conceived to be the support of all our cognitive activity. And in fact, mind and subtle winds are understood to be inseparable. The inseparability of mind and body in the form of subtle energy is a unique Vajrayana view. <clears throat> In part five, we saw that an important question for the Buddhists is how do sentient creatures emerge from insentient material substances? This is an important question for non-Buddhists as well. The texts identify four types of birth, egg, womb, heat and moisture, and spontaneous birth, and give examples for each of these. Attention is focused on the second one, birth from a womb, since that's what human beings seem to experience and there's an early Buddhist source on this uh, called Nanda's Sutra on Entering the Womb, datable to around the first century, and translated into Chinese in the third century. And he gives five conditions being the, the uh, necessary conditions for the entry of a sentient being into the womb, including uh, an in three, an intermediate state being is nearby, meaning a being in the in the intermediate state between uh, death and the next life, a bardo, which we would call a bardo being. And fifth, five, the uh, the karmic connection between the intermediate being and the prospective parents has reached a maturation point. They don't define what the maturation point is. But uh, there's some karmic connection between the three of those individuals. And let's see. Skipping to the next page, uh, the next page. 
they mention this typical, what's typical in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition that talks a lot about the bardo uh, process and experience and beings and the description of the uh, experience that a bardo being has when they're, um, when those five conditions are present and they start to get sucked into the material of the uh the sperm and the egg coming together and thereby produce a sentient fertilized situation. We have, uh, due to past karma, we experience hallucinations such as I'm entering inside a house <laughs> or a dense thicket or burrowing into a hole <laughs> and so on. Uh, they have a detailed embryonic development theory which has striking parallels with contemporary scientific understanding and western thought um, at least current and they talk about the old version which was the uh, human homunculus um, and he goes through the buddhist system from the from nanda sutra in the different stages, beginning with the fusion of sperm and ovum, the fertilized egg turning into something like a blob of rice broth, <laughs> and then uh, a thick curd and a worm, and so on. Um, and then in more detail, uh, the sense organs appear in the ninth week, and the channels and nerves of the body, and so forth. Um, come next and so on and so forth and then we have the brain in an early buddhist medical text and uh, uh, the authors of the book are quite impressed by the detail and specificity of the buddhist descriptions of the uh, physiology of the fetal development process and of the brain and uh, state uh, share this view that uh, it far surpassed the western presentation at the time for many centuries At the end of this section, the authors say, the remarkable aspect of this Buddhist medical knowledge of the brain is that its understanding of the brain and its functions reflects some understanding of the brain's anatomy. Here too, my guess is that these authors were either themselves engaged in dissection or drew from others' insights based on dissection of human bodies. From history of ideas point of view, a critical study of this text called the Somaraja, based on careful comparison against today's knowledge of brain anatomy and function, has the potential to reveal that when it comes to the brain, perhaps classical Indian medical knowledge was more advanced than the West until the recent dawn of uh, sort of modern science. And, and uh, they, they uh, figure that it must have been due to autopsies performed by Buddhists uh, during the many centuries preceding the so-called dawn of Western modern scientific era. And uh, apparently in uh, certain Buddhist countries, India, uh, Tibet, Bhutan, they used to do brain surgery, believe it or not, up until a few hundred 
years ago and then uh, they decided that brain surgery was not the best way to go and they developed other ways of dealing with problems that occur within the skull of the head of the human the subtle body for those interested in human body perhaps one of the most intriguing concepts in buddhist thought is its unusual vajrayana physiology of channels winds and drops as well as the postulation of degrees of subtlety of the human body on this view, the human body is said to possess 72,000 channels, all stemming from three main channels where they intersect at the heart, a central channel and two side channels. And these channels flow the energy like winds, bio or prana, and at important junctures within these channels reside drops or vital essences, bindus or tilakas. Um, and the channels were the... Uh, Nadis. These junctures are where the two side channels intersect with the central channel to form channel centers, such as the, or chakras, such as the crown, throat, heart, navel, and sexual organ chakras. There are said to be ten types of winds or energies that flow within these channels: five primary, five secondary. And according to Vajrayana physiology, it is these winds that perform the functions of various bodily organs. For example, the life-sustaining wind enables the other winds to move to the specific organs to perform their functions. The downward voiding wind helps bowel movements as well as the flow of fluids within the body and so on. The texts even describe with specificity the number of movements of these winds within the body in any given day. <clears throat> Anyone know the number of the, the, the movements of the winds within the body in any given day, any given Sunday? Uh, anybody know that number just offhand? It's a pretty common number. I think when you hear it, you'll be all like, oh, right. 108? 100. <laughs> That's a good guess. That's a very good guess. Anyone else? You've, it sounds like people found these sections as interesting as I did, which was not very interesting. <laughs> uh, 21,600 movements, which is supposedly how many breaths human beings take in a day at the rate of about one breath every four seconds. And a second is 360 uh, smallest moments, in case you're wondering. When my question, the, the inclusion of this particular Vajrayana physiology in our volume, I'm among those who question it. I didn't think it was particularly appropriate, which is supposed to be on the physical sciences from the Buddhist sources, setting aside the question of evidence for the time being. It's quite clear that the Buddhist sources themselves understood these claims about physiology as statements of fact. And each of the three main features of this physiology, channels, winds, and drops, are explained with respect to their functions and effects. At least in principle, one could argue that the claims are scientific, which is not the same as asserting that they're scientifically proven. At this point, these claims are best treated as constituting an interesting hypothesis coming from the Buddha sources. Any of you scientists with us this evening care to explain to me and maybe the rest of us 
what is the difference between being scientific and being scientifically proven that the authors are trying to make? I mean, I think it's fair to have a hypothesis that is not then proven to be correct. I think that happens in science all the time. Um, so I guess the idea is it's just, it's coming up with a hypothesis from sort of an investigative point of view. And even though it can't then go on to be proved using traditional scientific methods, that doesn't mean the process of coming up with a hypothesis isn't a scientific one. Thank you, Emily, Dr. Science for tonight. Thank you very much for that. So the implication of what you said is that is that the first part of being scientific entails having like a, a hypothesis or an hypothesis. Is that an accurate uh, understanding of your implication? What does the scientific part mean? I was wondering if it could be based on some evidence, whether it's not whether it's fully proven or not. The idea that there's some evidence, some basis on which you're making a hypothesis. Dr. Science, do you wish to respond to that? Yeah, I think that, or <laughs> could it, Thank you. could it be a, um, applied to, to, uh, could, could scientific techniques be, be employed in order to attempt to prove it or not? Perhaps, which I think is kind of Cynthia what you're getting at. Well, actually, what I mean, they were saying that it's not proven. So I was really just talking about the the more the beginning part, which is that the 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 notions arose from some form of observation or evidence, but that it didn't get to the point of what we would consider a full scientific proof. That's what I assume the second half was talking about. Right, but I'm just saying sort of the. Um, the one could apply the scientific process in order to attempt to prove or disprove this hypothesis and that that sort of puts it in the field of science versus something like god um you know performs miracles is very difficult to uh, try to prove or disprove using evidence and so doesn't really fall in that that hypothesis you couldn't really consider that statement like a scientific hypothesis. Yeah, totally agree. It's, I mean, in some ways, this stuff is similar to what's been going on with things like acupuncture and the whole Chinese medicine system for decades as well. Um, it started out as, you know, not being viewed as scientific and it has evolved a bit um, to where it's much more accepted. And, and used in many places for anesthesia. In yes. lieu of anesthesia, quite successfully. Right. And that is amazing Sounded. scientific proof, I'd say. Uh, was there another scientist that was about to chime in? My scientific observation, <laughs> I've noted that they do seem to be coming up with theories based on observation. And then they reach a certain point, and then they say, and it's 100 million. And that's the point where they don't know what to say. And so they just 
keep adding numbers to say, basically, we don't know beyond this point, but we're pretty good up to a certain point. And it does seem that way, that they, they kind of get it and then turns into a hundred million. That's cool. Yeah, Thanks. I mean, the tricky part when you get to subtle body and acupuncture and all those things is that it's not a physic. it's not, well, it has effects that are, that can be experienced perhaps physically, but these things themselves are not considered to be physical entities. Or at least in the, you know, it, so it's, it's a little tricky when you try to get to the, you know, getting it under a microscope level. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Scientific. Uh, what I'm coming away from is from this discussion is scientific implies observation and hypothesis and then further testing and observation, a, a, like a cyclical process that involves those steps, something like that. Okay, so um, one point I think needs to be taken more seriously, that's the bottom of 343 in the section called The Subtle Body, it's the third paragraph, uh, by contemporary scientists is the observed effects experienced at highly specific points of the body by meditators use the body map portrayed in this unique physiology through tumo, tumo, tumo meditation a heat generating practice involving visualization for example buddhist adepts i love that term adepts have demonstrated the ability to project heat over the surface of their body even when exposed to extreme cold these kinds of meditation are premised upon employing and manipulating energies within specific channel centers within the body the navel center in the case of dumo practice has anyone ever uh, like seen any of these uh, examples of Tibetans practicing Dumo or Tumo? You can you can Only Google this. Only in movies. You can you can Google this like on YouTube, and you can see amazing videos of Tibetans in environments with snow or what appears like snow all around them. I mean, it could be fake. <laughs> and uh, uh, male monks with their shirts off, just wearing their skirts, and they're taking the upper robe and they dip it in barrels of water, and then they put it on their bodies and they go walking off and they sort of do this in a big, I saw this one video, had this lineup of like probably a hundred monks doing this one after another. It's really amazing. Every once in a while, there's a monk that's not good at it and like starts to freeze to death and they have to literally like do some, uh, bring him to the hospital so they don't get hypo hypothermia. But uh, most of them, the, the great majority of them are able to dry off a wet sheet in, in uh, sub-freezing weather, which is really unbelievable. Finally, there is, there is the observed phenomenon of Tukjom. People heard of Tukjom? 
which is uh, which when a person which is when a person is clinically dead yet his or her body remains without decompensation for many days after death and the body is warm in particular there's a warmth around the heart center and it's said to be an indication of one's realization of the nature of reality of the teachings of the dharma and uh, it's often said about great lamas who pass away oh his dukedom lasted three days or five days or a week and uh, apparently they remain warm and flexible for that period of time and then the heat subsides and the body goes very quickly into oh what's it called stiffness what's the rigor mortis thank you rigor mortis it's just one thing i i saw it in the email today just if anyone's interested i think that uh tenzin wangyal is going to be giving a talk that's related to tukdam and the post-death processes um it was called mastering living and dying what we can learn from post-death states of advanced meditators so if anyone's interested in hearing from <clears throat> A Rinpoche about that subject. Yeah, uh, next that's week. neat. That's neat. Interesting. Tenzin Wangyal, who's a, a sort of master of both Bun and Buddhism. Cool. And every once in a while, you hear you hear rumors of Westerners who die, and who uh, have warmth in the heart center for like a day or two, which is encouraging, I guess. Anyway, and this, this is, is one thing that uh, the Karmapa demonstrated too, right? In a setting a where way. medical doctors um, measured could it. observe. Yeah. yeah, he was in the hospital, died in the hospital, and they were just totally blown away that he remained warm and supple for days. And so it's documented in that case. Um, and so this is, from Western science point of view, physically impossible or not, not possible. Um, let's see. The Vajrayana tradition sees this as the other another indication of the presence of subtle states of body and mind where an individual can still remain alive, so to speak, even though all functions of the gross body have ceased. At this point, I know no scientific theory that explains phenomena such as these. Our volume contains a brief section on the difficult topic of the relationship between body and mind, since this is an issue that is closely connected with how one defines mind and consciousness as opposed to what is material. It is addressed more fully in volume two in the series, which will start in January. So let's have a little discussion. I don't want to go in great detail through this, all this Vajrayana stuff about the subtle body what did people make of this whole description of the subtle body what, what is what did you think of all this about those of you who are blank tonight without who have stopped your video anyone want to share your reaction to reading the, all about the subtle body and the details of it was it exciting was it like wow i've been dying to know all this stuff this vajrayana stuff that's generally like in the tradition of trunk room shade it's all hush hush uh, although it's available in many books publicly available books these days any any eye openers any general reactions anyone 
Brent, Eric, Barbara, Matt, Emily, Katie, any anything exciting? Was it cool? Is it interesting? Or is this part of the book just like totally boring? I find it totally boring, to be quite honest with you. I'm like, should we, you know, even continue to go through this or just end the course? It was so subtle, I missed the whole point. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Anyone else? Matt, Eric, any reaction to all these descriptions of. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, the descriptions I don't find helpful, but what I found helpful was subtle body or the actual practices if they ever give them and then you have sensations that you could say well yes this could be the subtle body or who knows um, but it certainly seems to behave in the ways described interesting that's great that's very hopeful thanks that basically uh, reading about them is not all that helpful but uh, unless unless you're practicing them than doing practices related to working with them. And then it's much more interesting. Anyone else? Any other face? Uh, Eric, you have any reaction? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I was never really sure what to make of this system. And so this yeah. gloss on it, I just sort of nod my head and say, yeah, I'm still not sure what to make of it. I yeah. admit, which yeah. I admit is my failing and my yeah. <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> Anyone else? Chris, Morgan, Cynthia, Brent, Emily, Barbara, Katie. Well, I personally find subtle body very interesting. I'm not saying this particular chapter was the most, you know, illuminating, but I think it's a very uh, valuable and uh, uh, important thing to be aware of. Can you say why without revealing anything? You muted yourself. Yeah, I know I did. I, I, <laughs> not, I, you saw not, it. Not sure if I can figure out what to say. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, um, I mean, it, it may be that just I'm a person that's interested in, in subtle energy in general. I do Qigong practice, and that also works with, you know, in effect, it's working with subtle body in a different way, but similarly to Tibetan systems, I believe, as I've been told. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, it's just, I guess this is the kind of thing that I'm interested in, which may not be true for everyone, but I think it, it's helpful from a health point of view. It, interestingly, Sogni Rinpoche works with teaching about it from a, more from a helping people work with their emotional um, kind of uh, I could call it hangups maybe or whatever, but, um, you know, so he actually, after years of teaching very straight kind of Zogchen, he kind of shifted his approach to really emphasizing subtle body more, in, but in very Western terms. He didn't do it through, you know, it was kind of more working with, with ordinary Western language. But I think what he, what he says, and he recognized that, that it was something that people really needed. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Anyone else, Does, Christopher? Uh, intuition come in there? Because that's what I get a sense. Like, where does intuition come from? And, you know, this, like, maybe that's the subtle body. Oh, right? that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, the non conceptual, yeah. yeah. The non intellectual part of our being. 
That's interesting. That's an interesting idea. Huh. Anyone else? Brent, Morgan, Emily. I mean, for me, like these terms come up in other texts, but they don't give a lot of um, description. So it's helpful to, you know, I can't say I absorbed a ton of it, but it's helpful to um, know where to go for detailed <laughs> descriptions of these things. Because, you know, I, I hear them, these terms bounced around in other texts. And I was like, well, I'm sure I'll find out at some point what that's all about. So. Neat. Well, you found out. Uh, anyone else? Well, let's go through one of them briefly. Or quickly, rather. So we had for tonight, the subtle body of the channels, winds and drops on page 381. It's chapter 30. The subtle body of channels, winds and drops. And I skipped chapters on the birth process and fetal development in the sutras and the Kala Chakra Tantra and then Buddhist medical texts. And so if anybody is interested in those and like read through them and wants to point out sections for us to go through, please don't hold back. Please suggest that. Okay. Just chime in if you think of anything. So we're on page 381 of our text, the subtle body of the channels, winds and drops, the Indian Buddhist text of the highest yoga tantra, as well as some medical texts speak of a body that exists during subtle states of existence that is not the coarse material body of flesh and bones that we possess. Interesting that it says that exists during subtle states of existence. Um, there's also this notion that the subtle body exists during coarse states of existence within the coarse material body. Interesting, they present it as this way. The texts explain the activity of the subtle body in relation to our coarse body on the basis of the channels that reside within the body. The channels are the nadis to the winds that move within these channels, the either prana or vayu and the drops that adorn the vital points of the body like jewelry adorns the surface of the body and the, the drops are bindu or tilakas. Below we shall offer a brief explanation of these topics as an introduction to explain first how the subtle channels and winds are presented in the highest mantra texts. So in this situation we have a presentation from people from the Galupa tradition and so when they say the highest yoga tantra they mean what in Sanskrit is the Anutra yoga tantra system which is the highest tantra of the new tradition of uh, tantra within Tibet as opposed to the Nyingma system so in this system it's the uh, there's a, a scheme of six yanas, starting from Shravaka, Pratyeka Buddha, Bodhisattva Yana, and then um, Kriya, uh, uh, Charya, Upa, and then Anutra. So that's seven. I can't count very well. So that's seven. Uh, maybe they combine Shravaka and Pratyeka Buddha. 
into one and they call it this because they usually do call it the six tantras the six yana system and then there's the nine yanas which is very popular and you've heard of i'm sure have all have heard of the nine yanas of the enigma system and the uh the schema for that is that uh, the three highest tantras in the enigma system are a sort of equivalent in some way to the Anutra Yoga Tantra of the new tradition. In the Anutra Yoga Tantra system, there's Father Tantra, Mother Tantra, and non-dual. And in the Nyingma system, there's the Mahayoga Yana, which in some ways uh, compared to the Father Tantra of the Anutra Yoga. There's Anuyoga in the Nyingma system that's compared to the Mother Tantra of the uh, new Tantra system. And then there's the non-dual, which is the Ati Yoga. Anyway, to explain first how the subtle channels and winds are presented in the highest mantra text in general, the Buddhist texts discuss three types of body. This was sort of interesting. The coarse body, which refers to the body composed of flesh, blood, and bones. I didn't say blood, but flesh and bones. The subtle body referred referring to the channels, winds, and drops, as well as the dream body and the body of the intermediate state, meaning between birth, uh, between death and birth, the so-called famous bardo. Although bardo uh, is really means interim state, and there's many different types of bardo, but it's most commonly used in relation to the after death before birth state. And the extremely subtle body, which refers to the extremely subtle wind that is the medium of the mind on the four stages of emptying. <laughs> now, I hope people came across that and were like, what the hell are the four empties? Did, did anybody have that question? Did anybody get this far? <laughs> it's, it's a little bit late in the season, isn't it? We're in December, and it's like, oh, my God. Uh, so, what, uh, let's see. It's the medium of the mind on the four stages of emptying, especially the wind that is the mount of the fourth empty which is the clear light mind. And this is uh, the, the terminology that's used for describing these tantric states in the Galupa system. And the Kagyu system has the same schema of these, these yanas, and it has this system of the four empties, <clears throat> but it has a different terminology for them. And uh, I, uh, I can't remember exactly what we call the four empties. But um, the clear light mind, we, we generally just say it like the empty luminous mind. That's the essential, the essence of mind. So in the Galupa system, the four empties are four stages of, of dissolution of all the other factors of the body, coarse and subtle, that leaves only the indestructible aspect of mind, which is called the clear light mind. Similarly, as will be explained below, with respect to the mind, the five sense consciousnesses are known to be coarse. And um, uh, with, he said with respect to the mind, so we're talking about consciousnesses, the five sense consciousnesses, not the five sense organs. Um, and the five sense organs we saw earlier that the five sense are the five sense organs coarse or subtle 
matter. The organs are coarse, but the faculties are subtle? Yes. Thank you very much. The faculties of the consciousnesses are subtle matter. Thank you very much. Oh, let's see. The mind, minds con- concomitant with the root and branch afflictions, as well as the 80 indicative conceptions, are subtle because they're minds. They are, are subtle. Um, the mental factors are more subtle. So there's the afflictions, and there's many of those. And then there's this thing called the 80 indicative conceptions. And there's this whole scheme of 80 conceptions. And there's something like, uh, there's, uh, they're affiliated with aggression, attachment, and uh, ignorance or stupidity, those 80 and the uh, dissolution of a human being or a human being's mind at the end of a life period or a lifetime uh, goes through this process of uh, the subsiding of these 80 conceptions anyway are subtle and states of mind that constitute the four empties are said to be extremely subtle as such the composite of coarse body and mind is referred to as the coarse common reality of the body and mind. And the indivisible unity of extremely subtle mind-body is referred to as the subtle common reality of the body and mind. For example, Naropa's clear compilation of the five stages. So we're all familiar with a gentleman named Naropa. In fact, we had a course on Naropa not too long ago, if I remember anything. I think it was this past spring we had a course on Naropa. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, not Naropa. I'm thinking of Nagarjuna. For example, Naropa. So Naropa. Got two letters right, not bad. <laughs> three, three. The last three, letter. Three, three. <laughs> um, so Naropa has a commentary on this text called The Five Stages, which is uh, attributed to Nagarjuna. And uh, so Naropa in his commentary on it says, entities have a twofold mode of being out of the mind and body. In terms of their states, there's coarse, subtle, and extremely subtle. Their common mode of being is their indivisibility of these states. Now to explain briefly the channels, winds, and drops that constitute the subtle body from among the three types of body as taught in the highest yoga tantra texts. Channels refers to parts of the body within which the winds and the elements reside and flow, and which also serve as the basis for consciousness. Etymologically, the word channel connotes something fundamental, since the channels acts as a base as a basis of movement and connection by which the winds and vital blood of one's being move. Now, the fact that they say that blood moves along the channels a little odd but they call it vital blood and so they may not they may be referring to something different than what we normally think of as blood Um, and connect through all external and internal open pathways they act initially as channels to establish and enhance the body in the intermediate period to maintain and sustain the body for an external period sorry an extended period and in the end, they transform into the channels of death and so forth. Nanda Sutra on entering the womb state, so he goes through the presentation of the development of the channels through the fetal 
stages of development. I'll skip that. And after that, it says in brief, in that sutra, 20,000 channels are mentioned for each of the four parts of the body, left, right, back, and front, and a total 80,000 channels exist in the body. And he was ringing any bells. Does this sound like something in, that we're familiar with in the West in terms of the structure of the body? 80,000 of them. That's a lot. That's a lot of channels. What are there lots of in the body, pervading all parts of the body? Nerves. Nerves. You have some nerve to bring that up. Thank you, young man. Uh, let's see. According to the system of the highest yoga tantra, there are 72,000 channels in the body, not 80. Of these, the first three channels to form at, at the heart are the famous three major channels, the right channel in Sanskrit, Rasana, the left channel or Lalana, and the central channel, Avaduti. This famous tantra, the Sambhara tantra states channels such as left and channel and so on are the main channels among all the channels which is very important these days since many of us have uh, service with hundreds of channels literally and it's very hard to figure out which are the main channels in your uh, subscription your uh, internet subscription and your tv reception and so forth so too the vajra garland tantra states are given names lalana lalana rasana of a duty. The first five channels to form at the heart are, in addition to these three, the Trivrita channel to the uh, east of the heart and the Kamani channel to the south. The five, these five channels develop together. So you have the three main ones and then two subsidiary ones in the heart. So you have five channels in the heart after these. Three more develop, which are the, the uh, Geha channels to the west, the Chandali channel to the north, and the Mara, Mara Darika channel that runs parallel to the central channel. These last three develop together at the same time, but by adding them to the five, there's eight channels. So, um, skipping the quote, the eight channel spokes at the heart. So there's eight channel spokes at the heart chakra, referred to in addition to the four that we just mentioned, the east, those four. Uh, the southeastern channel spoke, <coughs> the southwestern, the northwestern, and the northeastern channel spoke. So the eight channel spoke of the heart are not the same as the eight channels that first form at the heart, in case you were wondering and concerned about that and couldn't sleep last night, probably, because that was not clear. When the A-channel spokes of the heart, such as uh, something or other in the East and so on, are differentiated in terms of body, speech, and mind, there emerge 24 channels. I think that's eight times three, if I'm not incorrect. These are called the channels of the 24 places. Now, the 24 places is a famous tantric scheme that uh, there's like, uh, there's the internal there's this idea that the internal subtle body is a microcosm which uh, mirrors the external world system macrocosm. And one of those mirrorings is that there's these 24 sacred places in the body, uh, which in this case is explained as we just read in other, other texts, the 24 sacred places of the body are differently described. 
Um, and then there's 24 sacred places in the external world. And there's lists of them and they're identified physical places in primarily in India. Some are now, I think, in Pakistan or Bangladesh and maybe and uh, maybe some in uh, Beng Bengal, I think. And uh, it's sort of a interesting. They're, they're mostly now um, Hindu uh, shrines, these 24 sacred places. They've been taken over by the Hindus since the Buddhists left hundreds of years ago. And uh, Kempo Tsolchim Gyamso, one of uh, my second guru, ha had uh, this notion that we should, uh, that a good student, if you were a good student of his, you would go out and search down in reality these 24 sacred places and you'd do a retreat or something at each of them and find them, check them out. Anyway, um, Skipping the quote, when the eight channels that first form in the heart are combined with the channels of the 24 places, there are the 32 channels in which bodhicitta flows. So that's 24 plus 8. Uh, when each of these channels of the 24 places again branch into three, there are 72. And by dividing each of these into 1,000 just for the hell of it, <laughs> uh, there are 72,000 channels. That last jump, they don't really give an explanation for, but Surely there's got to be at least a thousand for each of them. If all such channels are summarized, they're subsumed in three channels, the left, right, and the central. And uh, the quote from the famous Hevadra Tantra says, the Bhagavan stated the channels are 32 in number. From these descend the 32 bodhicittas to the site of great bliss which is some esoteric terminology that I have no clue what they're talking about. And um, they give some other quotes, or they give some other quotes, skipping those on the next page. Thus the 72 principal channels each divide into 1,000 branch channels grouped into three sets of 24,000. These are also designated as 24,000 in which semen descend, 24,000 in which blood descends, and 24,000 in which wind descends. You notice there's no differentiation between female and male. This is said to be common to both female and male human beings, that both have 24,000 each of semen flowing, blood flowing, and wind descending. Skipping the quote from the Vajra Tantra, among these, the channels in which white bodhicitta mainly descends are referred to as the body channels. Those in which the red substance mainly descends are referred to as the speech channels. And just a FYI, the white bodhicitta is the substance that comes from the father, and the red element substance is what comes from the mother, and they combine together to, uh, as a sperm and ovum to uh, form the basis upon which a passing by intermediate being with karmic connections to the parents happens into existence. And the channels in which wind mainly descends are referred to as the mind channels. All other channels are um, are extra and are not included in this package <laughs> in this subscription service. We have to pay extra. Sorry, are described as subsumed under the under the skipping a couple of quotes on the next page. This refers to the channel spokes of the heart, throat. Sorry, crown, throat, heart, and navel. And it goes through the, the chakras. Here, the crown chakra, called 
the Great Bliss Wheel has 32 channel spokes. The Throat Chakra Perfect Enjoyment Wheel has 16 channel spokes. And the Heart Chakra, the Reality Wheel, has 8. And the Navel Chakra, the Emanation Wheel, has 64. That's there are 120 spokes total in number. And uh, since these channels act as the basis of the winds and consciousness, they are referred to as the main channels. And due to uh, the presence of these 120 channels, we're able to get good reception in most places. Um, these channels, uh, let's see, I've summarized the channels of the 32 places, which were the 24 sacred plus the eight from the heart, can be called the main channel since they act as the basis of the elements in terms of generating teeth, nails, and so on. The channels of the 24 abodes can be called the main channels. Um, I thought we just had the 32. Anyway, the channels of the 24 abodes can be called the main channels. The three channels, left, right, and central, can be called the main channels. So they're all called the main channels. Since the great innate bliss of clear light arises in dependence on the winds of the right and left channel, entering, abiding, dissolving, dissolving into the central channel. Uh, even within these three, the central channel constitutes the main channel the central channel at the level of the heart is the main channel since it is the basis of the three actions of entry abidance and transference of consciousness on the ordinary level in the site where the perfect clear light dawns i.e enlightenment happens in the in that heart chakra and uh, they're all called the main channel central channel anyway channel central centers and this gets into a lot of detail, and I didn't think it was uh, particularly that helpful. Um, goes through each of the, the chakras and describes how many spokes they have and how, how the spokes branch, and they're all pretty similar. They all spoke in a pretty similar way. And at each of the channel, at each of the chakras, the left and right of the three main channels are looped around the main channel forming a knot and most channels have one knot and the heart i think had three knots and uh that's when they say that your channels your your channels are knotted that's what they mean they're physically looped around the central the side ones around the central channel So let's see, he goes through the crown chakra, the throat, perfect enjoyment chakra, the heart reality chakra, the navel emanation chakra, the secret bliss sustaining chakra. And then as for how the winds and bodhicitta descends in, the, in these channels at the bottom of 387, the fire wind moves and blood descends. In the right channel, the wind, wind, <laughs> the wind, wind moves and semen descends in the left and both the earth wind and what? Uh, water wind move and descend in both the right and left channels. On the ordinary level, it's only at the point of death that, due to the power of karma, the knots of the channel, or the sorry, the knots of the heart loosen and the winds move in the central channel. So uh, the implication is when he, when they say on an ordinary level, it is only at the point of death. The implication is that through advanced Vajrayana practices, this can also be brought about to happen. Apart from this, without meditating on the path, there's no occasion when the knots of the heart are released. So that's uh, sort of one of the goals of 
tantric yogic practices is to loosen those knots through the various channels, in particular the heart chakra. How the central channels wrapped in a continuous circle of knots by the right and left channels, making them so difficult to loosen is as follows. The channel, central channel of the heart is constricted by the right channel circling three times to the right and left channel, circling at three times the left, forming a triple knot only a boy scout could ever possibly unravel. And at the other sites, there's only single knots, uh, skipping the quote. Um, Though both the right and left channels are similar in having two openings, one above and one below, the explanation that the left channel faces down, the right channel faces up from the perspective of whether semen and blood are emitted or retained from among the 24 channels, those channels where a greater amount of white body changes descends are the body channels or courage channels, and those where a greater amount of red substance descends are called speech or, part, or particle channels, and those channels where a greater amount of wind descends are called mind channels or darkness channels. And, this, and the channel spokes of the four cardinal directions, the winds of the four elements flows, while in the channel spokes of the four intermediate directions of form, the winds of form, sound, aroma, taste, and tactility descend the senses, as they are called offering channels or channels of the descent of the five sense objects. The text explain that from those eight channels spokes the five nectars. Uh, feces, urine, semen, blood, and phlegm. And they do call those nectars. <laughs> now, we usually think of nectar as being like really sweet and good tasting, like from nectarines or from other wonderful fruits. And they call these things nectars. And uh, uh, the question is, do they consider them sweet and wonderfully tasting? That is for you to discover. I leave that for you to discover. <laughs> Descent as well. The something channel, which is one of the eight great channels, eight channels that uh, initially form at the heart center, is called cessation channel or time channel. <laughs> the time channel, you turn off time. Um, on the ordinary level, except at the time of death, when the bodhicitta do not descend in that channel, the channel in fact hinders the descent of wind and bodhicitta in the other channels. However, the time of death, wind and bodhicitta will descend in this channel. So it is called cessation time channel. He goes through, they go through the order of formation of the various channels, and then they go through the winds that move in the channels. And there's all sorts of different winds, but there's this, the main scheme. So. 390, the winds that move in those channels. Presentation, the winds is most extensive in the text of the highest yoga tantra of Guhya Samaja and its commentaries. There, when the classification of winds is presented, the following 10 are mentioned, which are the five root winds, the life-sustaining wind, the downward-voiding wind, the upward-flowing wind, the pervading wind, and the accompanying wind, plus the five branch winds, moving wind, roving wind, perfectly flowing wind, intensely flowing wind, and definitely flowing wind. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of quotes that support that listing of 10, including what from the Garshana's five stages, which I just mentioned, and uh, talks about when uh, in fetal movement how they developed the various winds and where they where they reside these various winds and 
towards the end of this section, which is on page 392 to the second last paragraph. The 10 winds moves us. Each day is composed of 12 periods or 24 half periods. I guess an hour is a half period. Now during a half period, counting each cycle of exiting and entering as one movement, there are 900 such movements of each of the winds except for the pervading wind. Thus excluding the pervading wind, there are in total 21,600 movements each day for each of the nine root and branch winds. Furthermore, when the life-sustaining wind moves, it moves in both the right and left channels evenly through both nostrils without interruption. For each half period, there are 900 slow movements. So too, when the downward voiding wind moves, it moves in both the right and left channels through both nostrils without interruption. For each half period, there are 900 strong movements. When the ascending wind moves, it does similarly. And when the accompanying wind moves, it also is another 900. And then there's uh, another 900 for the uninterrupted movements or something. The accompanying wind seems to have, oh no, it also has 900. The pervading wind, however, apart from the time of death, does not move through the nostrils at the time of the basis that is while alive. Yet according to Kalachuk, even the pervading wind is said to be similar to the others in possessing the capacity to move through the nostrils, in case you were worried about that. I, I hope that clears that up. As for the branch winds, the moving winds move, move, the moving wind moves to the eye sense door, the moving, sorry, roving wind moves to the ear and so forth. They move to different senses. And let's see, then we have drops. Briefly, we go through the drops is the, and the drop refers to a composite consisting of four things, wind, consciousness, and the vital essences of semen and blood measuring about the size of a mustard seed. It's within the empty capsule of the heart, sorry, at the center of the eight channel spokes of the heart chakra that the indestructible drop of white and red bodhicitta received from both the father and the mother resides. This was not phrased very clearly, I think. What it is is that uh, a drop of white and red bodhicitta received from uh, either the father and the mother, the white from the father, the red from the mother, and they join together into the indestructible drop. At the very center of the indestructible top is, drop is the extremely subtle innate mind and the wind that is its mount, and these remain stable for as long as one lives. And this is what transmigrates from the white drop of the heart. An emergent part moves to the crown and mainly resides inside the center of the great bliss uh, chakra, the crown. That happens during the fetal development stage uh, or around birth. It, it completes its transit and gradually in incremental steps, the drop moves to other sites such as the forehead, lower tip of the central channel and so on. One emergent part of the red from the red drop at the heart proceeds to the navel and mainly resides at the center of the emanation chakra at the navel. So the, the main part of those drops that we get from our parents is in the central vacuole or whatever uh, of the heart chakra, uh, but it sends little emissaries to other parts of the body, the head and the navel. And uh, through gradual increment, the drop proceeds to other sides of the body, such as the throat, the secret place, so on. So drops are of two types, the white and red, uh, or there are four kinds, the drop generating deep sleep, the drop generating dreams, the drop generating the waking state, and the drop generating the fourth state. Now I have a conjecture that if you could harness or sort of 
harvest rather the um, drop generating deep sleep and bottle it and market it you could make a huge amount of money because there's so many people these days who have trouble sleeping all you need to do is find the dream drop and you could call it that dream drop anyway um those are two different ones, the, the sleep one and the dream one are two different ones ah uh, you're right this yeah thank you and, and both of those might be marketable, by the way. Yeah, maybe, or maybe you mix them together. Could be. Yeah, but that, yeah, those, and maybe the waking state drop might be popular. Some have too, the opposite it's problem. It's like that's like for a Red Bull, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's our their that's, version of Red that's Bull. That's it. That's it. And the, the drop generating the fourth state. They don't say what the fourth state is. It's deep sleep, dream, waking. In the fourth state i think maybe it's the late to fourth moment that's what i was thinking fourth moment yeah nobody all of knows these, about that so you can't sell that one yeah <laughs> Thank goodness, huh? all these drops are composites of three things semen blood and wind both the white and red drops initially develop at the heart then they separate and the white drop obtained from the father proceeds to the crown its main location while the red drop obtained from the mother proceeds to the navel its main location the drop generating deep sleep resides at the heart at the center of the jewel when the upper winds gather at the heart and the lower winds gather at the center of the jewel, deep sleep arises. I have no idea what the jewel is. The drop generated in the dream state resides at the throat and the secret place. And when the upper winds gather at the throat and the lower winds gather at the center of the secret place, dreams appear. I could tell you the secret place, but it's secret. I, I mean, I know where the secret place is, but I can't tell you because it's secret. The drop generated in the waking state resides at the crown and at the navel. When the upper winds gather at the crown and the lower winds gather at the navel, one wakes from sleep. The drop generated in the fourth state resides at the crown and at the secret place. Bliss is generated when the male and female engage in sex. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very odd sentence to add on. <laughs> to end, end on. To end, to end on. It's like all this complicated stuff about drops and winds and the subtle buys and then the final sentence of the of the whole chapter is like some sex manual bliss is generated when the male and female engage in sex what are we reading here what kind of material it's supposed to be abhi dharma why are they talking about it is a little out of context it's not contextualized <laughs> anyway uh Thoughts, comments, suggestions. Okay, I have something to report that um, I did a, little, did a little research on the uh, this, the, uh, the 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 two types of cessation that are two of the three um, uncreated dharmas. Right, there's three uncreated dharma space, and then the two types of cessation. And the way it's described is that they talk about the cessation. And I have this conjecture that the cessation was due to the concentration upon entities that produce these states of uh, cessation. 
<clears throat> and indeed, in this book uh, by Colette Cox called Disputed Dharmas, Early Buddhist Theories on Existence, which is a translation of the section on factors dissociating from thought, which are the non-associated formations, from a book called the Nyaya Anusara by a gentleman named Sangabhadra, who lived a long time ago and wrote one of the main treatises on Abhidharma comparable to the Abhidharma Kosha. And the, the uh, conclusion is that these are actually um, entities, concentration upon which produces the states of cessation of uh, mental activity. <clears throat> anyway, that was probably more interesting to me than it was to many of you. <laughs> Okay, so going twice. Were there any excerpts that were worth, uh, that would be readable, or do you have to read an entire tome to get to that? You know, I thought I had one, but suddenly I can't find it. It's okay. Take your time. <laughs> Another week would be fine. I, I have one more minute. Um, yeah, I'll try to find a pithy section that presents this topic. Anyway. Thirdly, going thir three times, any final comments or thoughts, suggestions? So next week we we uh, pause. I'm away, so no class next week. I'll try to send you some reading for while I'm away. That's interesting, perhaps more interesting than all of this stuff about drops and so forth. And then uh, the final class we'll have on Tuesday, December twentieth. And we'll go through some more of the channels and winds in the Buddhist medical text and the relation of mind and body. <clears throat> and then we'll do a little review. We'll do those quickly and then we'll do a little review, some more quizzing on the relationships. And we'll go through this appendix again that we started on at the very first class, the 18 topics of Chapa Chukin Senge, which was this very, at the time, obscure presentation of obscure topics. And we'll see if it's any more clear having gone through this entire book. How's that sound like a plan? Ideally, we should be able to like understand all 18 points of Chapa Chukin Senge, right? Because that was the idea, was that basically that's the root text, and the, this big book was the commentary on that in an odd sort of way. So that is our goal. So we'll actually focus on that for the next class. So, so please read that again uh, very carefully, and the other stuff you can skim. Okie doke. Shall we uh, dedicate the vast yojanas of merit oh the number was 4.6 million finger whips all right <laughs> 4.6 million yep. finger four, fing, uh what is it four, digits four million six hundred and eight thousand finger digits in a yojana or finger uh joints 
Yeah. So does that that means that four million inches? If you, I mean, if, I, used I, your, I said assuming. Yes. I used your assumption that they were an inch. Okay, so then how many miles is that? Uh, how many inches are there in a mile? I'll figure that out in a minute. Let's, <laughs> let's dedicate this. <laughs> By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy ways of birth, old age, sickness, and death from the ocean of samsara. May I free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east, may the lotus garden of the rigdon's distant blue, may the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled, may all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. And also, sorry for the confusion on the, the practice day. The 28th is not available from 9 till 1 o'clock or something like that. So... I think we'll probably go with the 14th. I'm sorry for those of you that can't make it on the 14th. We can try to zoom you in if that's of interest. Do you have the distance in feet or meters or? Of a I'll, I'll send it to you, okay? I'm, okay, I'm, we will no. wait. We'll, we'll wait with bated breath. <laughs> Did you want meters or, or uh, miles? Which, which were you? Uh, Whatever it turns out to be more relevant in terms, okay. you know, if it's like one okay. mile then, or under a mile, then yeah. Okay. Thank you. Nice to see you. Those of you that we can see, hope everybody else is okay. Those that we can't see. So be well, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.